Sports car racing is one of the most exciting and unique forms of motorsport. But for someone new to the sport, it can be a bit confusing. From the different classes and series to the types of cars and countless acronyms, there's a lot to keep track of. In this four-part series, we'll break down everything you need to know on the road to sports car racing fandom. Whether you're getting friends and family into the sport for the first time, becoming a new fan yourself, or just need a little refresher, Sports Car 365 is here to help you get up to speed on the current state of international sports car racing. I'm Jonathan Grace, and this is Sports Car 101. Grand Touring Cars. They look like the Ferraris, Porsches, and Lamborghinis of our dreams, but they can lap Le Mans much faster and take an incredible amount of skill to drive quickly. Commonly abbreviated as GT, Grand Touring Sports Cars are a part of practically every sports car racing event across any championship or series anywhere in the world. While they may take different forms, they almost always closely resemble the luxury road-going sports cars that you can purchase from your local dealership. Don't be fooled by the looks, though. This isn't your dad's Corvette with a gaudy wing on the back. These are thoroughbred racing machines. They've been stripped for weight, tuned, refined, sculpted, and made faster in every conceivable way. Modern GT racing cars are purpose-built track weapons designed to extract every bit of possible performance out of a car's platform across every homologation level. Despite all the modifications for performance, the cars still very closely resemble their road-going counterparts. For instance, the Acura NSX GT3 Evo is unmistakably an Acura. And the same is true of the Ferraris, Porsches, and Mercedes-AMGs, and so on. Whereas top-level prototypes can take styling cues from the brands that design them, GT cars look very similar to the actual road cars from the brands that make them. The proportions, styling, and visual aesthetics of the cars are easily recognizable, and this presents an excellent marketing opportunity for major manufacturers. What a better way to sell your brand of sports car than to show it beating all of its luxury sports car brand competitors in a head-to-head -head race on some of the world's toughest racetracks. As with some of the prototype classes, many of the GT homologations follow a numeric structure. GT3, GT4, etc. However, there isn't always a correlation between number and lap time. To sum it up quickly, GT3 is the fastest around a lap, followed by the far less common GT2, and then the far more common GT4, with GT1 not really existing as a real homologation. Makes perfect sense, right? Let's take a closer look at each category. GT1 and GT2. Grand Touring 1 and Grand Touring 2 are rarer platforms with only GT2 being used in actual wheel-to-wheel -wheel racing. Let's start with GT1. The name had historically been used for top-level GT racing machines, but no longer exists as a racing homologation. Currently, GT1 is a program run by SRO, the Stefan Rattel organization. Known as the GT1 Sports Club, this program brings the fastest track-only variants of the road-going hypercar offerings from major car manufacturers together at iconic racing circuits. These bespoke machines are then showcased on track and give their owners a luxury experience at the circuits where these events are held. Most recently, these events have been paired with GT World Challenge Race Weekends, showing these incredible road-going hypercars alongside great GT racing action. There's no points awarded, though, and these events are simply showcases. 
GT2 brings the focus back to competitive racing. The category also falls under the SRO umbrella, which oversees and organizes the Fanatec GT2 European Series, which is the main stage for modern GT2 machinery. Although GT2 cars can also be found in series like GT America, the 24 Hours Series, Nürburgring Endurance Series, or NLS, and the Bell Car Endurance Championship, to name a few. So what is it? GT2 is intended to cater towards amateur drivers looking for speed and performance without the complexity of driving with the higher downforce of the GT3 cars that we'll talk about next. Basically, GT2 cars are all about power, carrying less downforce and being more approachable. These cars are usually based on their road-going variants, but feature major performance upgrades to make them more suitable for the racetrack. For instance, the current Mercedes-AMG GT2 race car is based off the German brand's Mercedes-AMG GT track series. This brings us to GT3, the pinnacle of modern GT racing. GT3 cars are by far the most common type of grand touring car on the grid and can be found in countless racing series and championships around the globe. Manufacturers pour countless resources into developing a viable GT3 program for both themselves and customer teams. With so many GT cars competing around the world at any one time, manufacturers rely heavily on the business brought in by customer programs. Oftentimes, manufacturers provide support for some of these customer teams, sometimes even supplying team personnel, resources, or even factory-affiliated drivers. We'll talk about them in the next episode. As the name suggests, these cars are built to the GT3 technical regulations, which have become widely adopted and used in some of the world's largest sports car series and championships, like the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship, global SRO competition including IGTC and GT World Challenge, and depending on when you're listening to this episode, the World Endurance Championship. Since GT3 has become so widely adopted, you could buy a car to race in IMSA's Rolex 24 Hours of Daytona, and then fly the car to Australia for the SRO-run Bathurst 12 Hours before entering the car later in the year at the 24 Hours of Nürburgring. In fact, Mercedes-AMG did something very similar in 2022, when the exact same chassis won the 24 Hours of Spa and then finished runner-up at the Nürburgring 24, collecting two major endurance wins in the same car in the same year across two completely different events. Simply put, these cars are incredibly versatile, which makes the platform very attractive to teams aiming to run programs across multiple championships. In fact, GT3 has become so popular that it's tough to find a major championship or series that doesn't feature these cars in some capacity. Like GT2 cars, GT3 specification race cars are based off the road legal offerings from major car brands. The cars are built from the same chassis as their high-powered road car equivalents, but that's really where the similarities end. From a bare chassis, a GT3 car comes to life as a custom-tailored road racing machine that produces staggeringly quick lap times. From higher downforce level to sculpted aerodynamics, GT3 cars are built with pure performance in mind. While they may not be as fast around a lap as a prototype, it's important to remember that these cars represent the very best of what modern Grand Touring race cars are capable of on a racetrack. The large number of manufacturers currently building GT3 cars means that they all look and sound completely different. The different looks and designs of the cars also mean major differences in design philosophies throughout the different constructors. 
since their GT3 machines are based on real road cars, they all carry some of the characteristics of those road cars with them. For example, Porsche's GT3 cars feature a rear-mounted flat-six engine, and the Aston Martins put their big V8s up front, just like in the road cars. The regulations allow for a wide range of engines, configurations, and car layouts, giving manufacturers the freedom to design a GT3 car that not only goes fast, but fits and reflects their brand. Now, how are all these cars able to run so closely together in a race if they're all coming in with different engines, aerodynamics, and designs? Our next episode goes into detail on this balancing act because it's a very important part of the sport. Another important aspect of GT3 performance is constant evolution and improvement. As seasons go by, the manufacturers that build GT3 cars can also introduce evolution kits. These generally refine and enhance the car's performance and reliability to ensure the car is as fast as possible compared to its rivals. Sometimes the kits introduce slight aesthetic changes as well. It's significantly more affordable for a manufacturer to design an evolution kit rather than an entirely new car. These Evo kits are designed to help customers too, and they can be fitted to an existing car so that customers don't have to buy an entirely new one when rules and regulations change. Manufacturers are allowed to produce one Evo kit per regulation change. You can tell a car has one of these kits by the official name of the car, and usually by some slight visual tweaks as well. Teams who have installed a kit will include it in the car's name, and it's generally abbreviated as Evo. Let's take a look at the Lamborghini Huracan GT3 Evo 2 as an example. Lamborghini includes Huracan in the name in reference to its Huracan road car, on which the race car is based. The GT3 in the name refers to the homologation, and sticking Evo 2 at the end indicates that the car is on its second evolution kit from Lamborghini. A car like the Mercedes-AMG GT3 Evo has received just one round of evolutionary changes. GT3 cars are piloted by a wide range of drivers, ranging from amateurs and up-and-coming talent to full-blown professionals at the top of their game. As such, manufacturers have to balance building their GT3 cars hardcore enough to challenge the pros, but not so intimidating that amateur drivers can control them. These cars can be tricky to drive though, with higher downforce levels than any other common form of Grand Touring car, GT3 cars can be a handful even for the most experienced GT racer. Similar but not identical to GT3 is LMGTE, or Le Mans Grand Touring Endurance. Often abbreviated as just GTE, this has been the go-to Grand Touring homologation for the World Endurance Championship and the European Le Mans Series, before eventually announcing that they too would be adopting the GT3 formula. The major thing to know about GTE cars is that they're tuned to be slightly faster than GT3 cars, providing a unique challenge for drivers in the World Championship, European Le Mans Series, and those competing at the 24 Hours of Le Mans. We won't spend too much time on GTE cars since they're being phased out, but they've historically been used in the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship, as well as an international competition run by the FIA and the ACO. However, manufacturer involvement began to dwindle, and as GT3 continued to grow in popularity, the more expensive GTE cars began to fizzle out. The final rung of the GT ladder is GT4. Like their big brothers in GT3, these cars are based off road-legal production cars from major manufacturers. However, GT4 cars share significantly more parts with the car they begin life as. They're also less powerful than GT3 cars and carry a lot less downforce. In essence, they're slower. G3 
GT4 regulations allow for tons of different engine layouts, body styles, and designs, meaning that most GT4 grids are filled with cars of all different shapes and sizes. While they too clearly look like the cars they originate as, their performance differences and lack of relative downforce sets them apart visually from GT3 cars. You can spot a GT4 car by its smaller wings, fewer aerodynamic elements, and overall simpler design. GT4 specification cars are used all over the world. While not quite as prolific as GT3, GT4 is the class of choice for many support series and championships that focus on driver development. You can find them on the grid in IMSA's Michelin Pilot Challenge and SRO's GT4 America, to name a few. As with any set of regulations, there are gray areas. Single manufacturer GT cars and cup cars exist here. Some manufacturers like Porsche and Lamborghini host their own racing series in a field of cars composed entirely of their own GT3-ish machines. These are usually regional series where young and up-and-coming drivers develop their talent and earn their way up the sports car racing ranks. Manufacturers also use these series to keep an eye on emerging talent as they hone their skills. It's very common to see a young driver win one of these championships and then step up to a GT3 program in a more established major championship. These single-make cars may or may not be as fast as the GT3 equivalent, depending on the balance of performance, we'll talk about this in the next episode, as well as the track they visit. Generally, these production-based race cars operate with slightly lower downforce than GT3 cars, but aren't so powerful that they dip into GT2 territory. Like I said, it's a gray area. Porsche also hosts a number of similar series, like different Porsche Carrera Cup series all over the globe, along with the Porsche Sprint Challenge and Porsche Super Cup. These series use what's known as a cup car. They may be similar to GT3 cars, but they are their own dedicated models from the manufacturer. These cars are rarely used in competition outside of the single manufacturer series, but can be found on smaller championship grids here and there. Most of these single-make cars, like the popular Mazda MX-5 Cup car or McLaren's Artura Trophy, don't fall under any specific performance regulations other than those established by the manufacturer for that specific series. This means the cars wouldn't be eligible to race in any standard homologation-based championship or series, but they can still provide a lot of great racing action in their respective single-make championships. Japan's Super GT is another racing anomaly, using a variety of cars, ranging from GT3 machines that compete in the series GT300 class, to fully bespoke, almost prototype-like cars with a GT shell in the GT500 class. GT racing is one of the most popular types of sports car racing. It allows fans to follow their favorite drivers behind the wheel of their favorite sports car. At its inception, sports car racing was all about GTs, with constructors using the racetrack as a mobile laboratory to test and tune their road-legal offerings. Today, sports car racing helps showcase the very best of what these GT manufacturers have to offer. Now that we've covered what the sport is and the types of cars you'll see on the grid, it's time to tell you how the sport works. The next episode of Sports Car 101 focuses on rules, regulations, and how a race weekend functions. After that, you'll be able to follow the action in just about any race you're watching, whether it's at home or at the track. <laughs>